It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, uh, 1-866-408-7669. Happy to be back with you on Monday. Special thanks to everyone at MNC over in South Bend, Indiana, uh, for coming out, Elkhart, Indiana, uh, for the big noise event on Saturday. Great to see everybody, as well as on Friday in Albany, New York. Uh, just a huge turnout to talk about the president and the freedom fighter. Uh, there's so much news going on, too, and sadly, race is definitely a part of it. So historically, uh, this is still in the news in America. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think that the the indictments will lead to the FBI from John Durham? Not only the FBI. Comey and Strzok and McCabe ought to be very concerned about uh, Durham's investigation. Brennan and Clapper, remember, they were the ones who actually briefed Obama about the entire plot from Hillary Clinton to try and paint Donald Trump with Russia. There's got to be some accountability. Absolutely. And Doug Collins, we certainly miss him. Talking about a probe he was all over, Durham probe, and the three indictments already wreaking havoc and embarrassment in mainstream news, mainstream media newsrooms across the country. I have news for you. More revelations come, which means the worst is yet to come for Shifty Schiff and company. Number two. We can address this issue in the short term and the medium term. In the short term, we're focused on uh, executing a strategy to finish the task on COVID. Those are immediate steps that we know actually will help return our economy to a sense of normalcy. Now, even they admit it. The economy is causing pain at every kitchen table and soon under every Christmas tree. The administration scrambling to at least appear like they understand. I, for one, am not buying it. Number one. The American people have given this president failing grades across the board on his first quarter report card, failing because of high costs and prices, failing because of an overrun border, And no matter what bill the president happens to sign tomorrow, that's not going to change the failing grades. And that is so true. Uh, That is John Barrasso. How low can Joe go? A day uh, which we will see infrastructure deals signed. New polls verify other polls that Americans have lost total faith in this president. America is turning their exasperated eyes to Republicans at a record rate. I will explain. So uh, there's going to be a busy day today. The president in the afternoon will hold a virtual summit with... uh, president of China. That'll be impactful if he brings up things that matter, like the uh, invasion of Taiwan that'll probably happen after the Olympics if we don't do anything. And number two, the genocide that's taking place with the Uyghurs. And number three, the origin of the virus. How about that to get started with? My hunch is he won't bring up any of it. And a little bit later, he'll sign a bipartisan infrastructure deal. But we're all going to have a lot of eyes on what's happening in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, with the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict. We got to get cozy arguments today, and then it's going to get go to the jury. Andy McCarthy, Fox's contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, uh, author of Ball of Collusion, and we're going to get to that with this dorm investigation. Uh, but first things first, Angie. How was your weekend? Uh, it was great, other than the uh, quarter of the jet game that I made myself watch. It's unbelievable, uh, right? Uh, I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, the Mike White, uh, uh, the Mike White uh, era is over. 
Well, he did complete four passes. Unfortunately, they were to the Bills. But. Yeah, what a shame. Uh, but we can't talk about the Jets today. It'll take about two or three years, but I think their coach is in place. I, I, I do believe that he's the right guy. So, Andy, first off, when it comes to the Rittenhouse trial, as somebody who didn't spend a day in law school, I was stunned to see that the, the judge is entertaining Putting uh, putting him on for lesser, uh, having the jury entertain lesser charges. If I'm the defense, wait a second. I defended against these five felonies. What are you changing the game for? Well, Brian, this happens a lot in um, in murder trials. There's a concept in the law that's called lesser included offense, and what that means is. Um, in every greater offense, there's kind of a subset of that offense that is the same offense, except it doesn't have all of the elements. So that's called a lesser included offense. And just to make it a, to make it clear, like, let's take the example of armed bank robbery and bank robbery. The only difference between the two is in an armed bank robbery, you have a weapon. Otherwise, all the elements of bank robbery are the same. So what the judge is basically saying is if, if you were charged with armed bank robbery, uh, I'm also going to allow the jury to consider bank robbery, even though that isn't the charge. And it's really not that unfair because it, the charge is contained within the one that you've been defending. Uh, the, the Obviously, the, the uh, defendant would rather not have that because he'd rather have the jury um, not have something to compromise on. That seems to be a lesser, uh, you know, a less serious charge. But it, it's not it's not all that unusual. So now the uh, the judge had the weekend to think about it. We're going to see closing arguments. Will the closing arguments have any substance in them besides just uh, putting this uh, put this thing a bow on this thing? Would you use the whole all the time if you were the prosecution judging the hard time you've already been given by the judge? Yeah, uh, you know, Brian, I think that the there's misimpression about the judge. The judge got very angry at the prosecutor um, for very good reasons, because the prosecutor did things that were utterly inappropriate. And I think any judge would have gotten angry at this prosecutor. But if you just read Twitter and, you know, the the uh, crazy media out there, um, you would think that this judge is like a closet white supremacist who's there to make sure Rittenhouse doesn't get you know convicted. And the fact of the matter is, the judge didn't throw out the state's case at the conclusion of the trial. He's left in this misdemeanor charge, which should have been thrown out, which is very important to the prosecutor's legal approach to the case. And he's let in some evidence that's going to give the prosecutors a chance to argue that uh, Rittenhouse provoked some of the violence uh, that occurred and therefore should be deemed to have waived his self-defense mm. right. So. I don't think it's fair to say that this judge is in the tank for Rittenhouse because he's done an awful lot. I mean, he's given the prosecutors a chance to win a case that they should lose. Which is, you believe they should lose it, and do you believe that he's innocent? Yes, I think he's innocent uh, because he has a right of self-defense, and he was not the assailant in any of the shootings. And I, I also think... The misdemeanor charge against him, which I, I think should have been thrown out, is so vague 
that five highly experienced lawyers, the judge and the two main lawyers for both sides, mm -hmm. had a very lengthy argument about it, and they can't figure out what the statute means. <laughs> and the law, the Supreme Court's vagueness law requires that for a criminal statute to be applicable, it has to put a person of ordinary intelligence on notice of what the law prohibits. So if five highly experienced criminal practitioners spend two hours arguing something and can't agree on what it means, how could, it, how could a 17-year-old kid on the street know what was legal and not legal? I hear you. Here's what, what worries me, that we've all witnessed these cities burn to the ground a year ago. We witnessed the chaos that took place, and these jurors are going to look around and say, if I don't find something, I'm going to feel somehow responsible uh, for the chaos that will subdue if he walks. Is that a justified worry that I have? I think it's not only a justified worry, Brian. I'm more worried about it than I was even in the uh, Chauvin trial. Because if you remember, in connection with the Chauvin trial, uh, because of the COVID restrictions, there really weren't spectators in the courtroom. But there have been spectators in the courtroom here, including some of the, you know, when, when uh, Gross uh, Kreutz testified, he's the one who was, um, who was shot. He had companions in the courtroom with him that was elicited in the, in the testimony. He had people who were, you know, in uh, this radical group that he associates with were in the courtroom with him. There have been others as well. And, you know, they're staring at the jury. The jury's worried also that the, you know, there's TV cameras all around and have they been filmed or photographed. So I, you know, I, I, I hope everybody's going to do their job. Uh, and I expect everybody's going to do their job, but I can't say I'm not worried about people being intimidated because I am. So I flipped around over the weekend. I was traveling. I go, let me check out some other shows. And the sentiment is the Rittenhouse is a big actor putting on a big event, and he's going to get away with it because uh, it's an all-white jury. Here's an example of the, the stuff I was hearing. Brittany Packnett, MSNBC. She, uh, Brittany was on the Obama task force for 21st century policing. Cut 37. When I look at mainstream media accounts that fall for Kyle Rittenhouse's tears and that uh, uh, display him like some kind of confused teen or talk about him injuring and murdering people with a gun in the passive voice, they are participating and perpetuating in that same culture of violence. So no New York Times, he did not end up fatally wounding a man. He actively and voluntarily shot and killed him. The media is participating and perpetuating this charade because as far as I can tell, the only reason why any of this is allowed is because of the whiteness of it all. Because of the whiteness of it all. This is like the stupidest. I have to say, I mean, I don't know this woman and, you know, maybe she's uh, maybe she was just having a bad day. Does she understand that the four people that Rittenhouse shot were white? Has anybody told her <laughs> ah, that? Ah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, look. Rittenhouse was a 17-year-old kid who killed two people, in a, who was in a confrontation. Whether he should have been there or not, he was in a confrontation where his life was in danger. Somebody pointed a gun at him, and he shot the person. He killed two people, even if he was acting in self-defense. Um, do we are we so confident that if we were in that situation, that it wouldn't rock our world for the rest of our lives? And He's looking at, if he gets convicted, life in prison. 
And for people to think that it was weird for him to be emotional about that under the circumstances, I mean, LeBron James comes out and complains. I've seen LeBron James cry when an official called a foul. Or Every day, a foul on him. 20 times yeah. a game. You, you got a 17-year-old kid who was in essentially what for him will be like a wartime situation. Where he's where it was very traumatic, where he killed two people and and badly wounded one person. He barely got out with his life. He's on trial for his life, and if he gets convicted, he could be convicted and sent to jail for yeah. you know the next sixty years. And he shouldn't be emotional kid's, about that. Yeah, the kid's not an actor. Uh, thanks so much. I want to get to this other area of your expertise, and that's on the whole. Uh, the Russia hoax. You wrote a whole bowl of collusion book about this. Now it's being unwound. I was struck by this. Axios warns about a reckoning on news outlets that touted the Steele dossier. Soon they're going to be saying touted the whole Russia collusion situation. Sarah Fisher writes, a reckoning is hitting newsrooms uh, for uh, years coverage, uh, two years of coverage of the 2017 Steele dossier. Now it's being blown up because of the dorm investigation that nobody's been able to poke holes into. A reckoning is hitting newsrooms. The Washington Post uh, media critic Eric Wemple has written at length about the mistakes made by the Washington Post and other uh, outlets. BuzzFeed, which published the dossier, says, well, they have no regrets about it. They never said it was they actually never said it was authentic. They just put it out there. This is just beginning, isn't it? Yeah, and it'll go on, Brian, until Durham is done. And I think, you know, beyond that, because Durham's going to write a narrative report, I think that um, will be the big reckoning here. I don't think there's going to be any sweeping criminal indictments. There may be some more along the lines of what he's already done of people who, like, lied to the FBI and that kind of stuff. But I think the real thing here is he's going to write a narrative report that will lay out that this whole thing was a concoction. This is the Trump-Russia political narrative, was a concoction of the Clinton campaign, that they peddled it to the media, they peddled it to law enforcement, and the FBI was, was like pushing on an open door with them, and they didn't do their jobs in corroborating stuff before they went to the to the FISA court. So, you know, I think everybody conducted themselves abysmally, and he'll you know, write a reckoning of that. It won't mean that everybody gets prosecuted, but at least there'll be a historical record of what happened. Yeah, it'll be a historical record of what happened, but it'll also show that for three and a half years we sent billions of dollars in hours of airtime trying to get to the bottom of an investigation that hurt the country. Forget about it. It hurt the country. We were totally distracted. Yeah, look, look, it... it, uh, uh, it undermined the president's ability to govern for a couple of years, and that should, it shouldn't matter what you think of Donald Trump. You should be upset that the you know the, the United States needs to be able to govern, and we had a situation where there was a made-up investigation of the president for two years. He is Andy McCarthy, and he's a busy guy today, especially Andy. Thanks so much for the quality time. Thanks, Brian. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You have a lot to, on your mind from the weekend. You're always ready to go. Don't let me down. Next, and then at the bottom of the hour. We'll continue to uh, develop the big three and get more of your takes. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Here's the problem for him, though, is the next election is always the most important election, right? So in the midterms of 2022, um, right now the Democrats went from plus 12 among independents in 2018 to minus 18 among independents in our poll. And no matter what anybody wants to talk about, we learned in 2018 and in 2020, it's those independents that determine the swing elections. That is uh, Chris Christie with a book out tomorrow uh, talking about the future of the GOP. But he's also got a lot to talk about because these new polls reveal that he's uh, Joe Biden's fall from grace is remarkable because almost every media outlet gives him a total pass to his ineptness on the teleprompter, inability to answer questions, his unavailability to address problems. He is uh, the reactionary way in which his administration does everything except for their agenda items. You got to react to the border. You got to react to the ports. You got to react to the supply chain. You got to react uh, to the fact that you can't control the left. You got to react to the fact that gas prices are going up, that inflation is rising, that China is belligerence continues, that you can't get oil and gas prices down, even though we drill here. He does not adjust. Therefore, he gets 41% approval rating, 52%. Is where he was at in April. Uh, we know the numbers over 50% disapproval. 8% of the country, according to the Washington Post ABC poll, 8% says he accomplished a great deal. 27% said good, a good amount. 45% say little or nothing. Keep in mind, you have independence in this poll. That means he's losing Democrats and independents. How concerned are you that Biden will do too much to increase the size and role of government? 60% of the country are concerned. Now, here's his good news. In the two programs he's put forward, 63% support the infrastructure deal signed today, and 58% support the reconciliation bill that still has not, uh, the ink is not even dry, they're not even done writing it. But 
Here's what they say. They're worried about the the government getting too big. If you link those two things together. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You see the numbers go down. If someone walks up to you and said, would you like a free suit? Would you like free clothes? How would you like a free car? That's fine. If they say, by the way, eventually you're going to have to pay for it. We're going to take it out of your check each week. And then you're going to say, wait a second. Well, what kind of car is it? Uh, I don't really need another car. I have a car. Mine is due. When it becomes clear that someone pays the price, it'll be totally different. So having said that, bipartisan dissatisfaction with the president. Nine in ten Republicans, not a surprise. How about this? Seven in ten independents. Now, two-thirds of Dems say Biden has accomplished a great deal. But it also shows that one-third say Biden has not which is devastating if a Republican or Democrat lawmaker, let alone a president, loses that much party support in such a polarized environment. I'll take all your calls in a big segment when we come back. one 408 Also, go to briankillme.com, and you can just click on comments, and I'll read some of them. If you're at work or at school, you can't really get on the phone anymore. Thanks so much for being here. Hope you had a great weekend. Don't move. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think a lot of people across this country are, are, are really having having buyer's remorse and, and are shocked because this is not what what Joe Biden campaigned on. This is not. He said he was a reasonable centrist moderate. I got to admit, the Joe Biden that, that that swore me into the Senate nine years ago, the Joe Biden that that, that a lot of us have known for a long time. We don't know where he is. I mean, we're wondering if that guy is tied up in the basement of the White House because the people yeah. setting the agenda here are radicals. And, and and it's helping the Republicans. But if the Republicans want to make the most of it, now look, the, the House, I think they're well-structured. They have a good plan. Kevin McCarthy shocked everyone last time. He wants to be Speaker. He's not going to do it unless he can get a substantial majority, and I think he goes in with that. But on the Senate side— they're, they have a candidates that are going to be that have to ramp up that have some issues. Sean Parnell's a great guy. He's having a very public divorce that looks ugly. What it how he's going to address that will decide whether he is the senator from Pennsylvania. I was talking to some people that say he's going to have trouble overcoming a lot of the accusations his wife has made publicly. Number two, Eric Greitens. We know the problem when he was governor. We know a girlfriend claimed that she was. He, he tied her down in the basement. I mean, how is he going to address that? He, she, he was endorsed by Don Jr., I think, and Kimberly Guilfoyle is working on his campaign. But that is not the best, uh, purest candidate. 
I know Eric, a good guy, but his personal life could keep a lot of uh, a lot of people away. I don't know what's true. I don't have the time to investigate. But this is very public, and he's a damaged candidate. Herschel Walker has a lot of upside. The downside is he's never done it before. Can he lock horns with a smooth-talking former reverend who's now got two years under his belt, Raphael Warnock? Is he going to get the nomination? Is he ready to go? Will he put the study time in? That is the question. I think he 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 is potentially going to do it. He's off to a good start. Man, he's driven. I know he was in Jacksonville last night. Is is he going to be the candidate? They also don't have Chris Sununu. Chris Sununu would have been a layup to beat Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. He's extremely popular, an effective governor, so effective he's going to keep doing it. Who's going to step up now? It'll be a lot harder lift. You really need momentum in that direction. Now, Mark Kelly, who's going to be the one to take out Mark Kelly in Arizona? He's been a terrible senator. He's going along with AOC and company. He has not been the moderate force using his military background to condemn what's happening in Afghanistan or use some of his uh, his legitimate astronaut credentials. What a resume he's got. Or, you know, when you see Kristen Cinema, his fellow Senate colleague, he doesn't, doesn't even go to bat for it, doesn't even hop behind a microphone and tell the people of Arizona to back off because she's entitled to do things to represent her state the best she knows how. She's a Democrat. Instead, it's up to Senator, um, um, uh, we have uh, Senator, um, uh, oh, it took a Republican senator to actually be the one to protect her uh, when she was in the public. She has to run to the bathroom. So he is vulnerable, but who are the Republicans going to put forward? And that's going to be the key because it's not so much the sentiment in the country will put the right candidate over the top, but you got to give yourself the right candidate a chance to win like they should have won in Nevada and they could have easily won in Delaware last time. But in 2010, the Republicans picked the wrong candidate, whether it was a Tea Party that put him there or not, the wrong candidate. So that's what is – this is an opportunity. So this is what the number that has Republicans almost giddy with glee because it shows that they have the potential to score big. When asked in that Washington Post-ABC poll that skew left among registered voters with a generic Democrat and generic Republican, who do you prefer? 51% to 41% they prefer their Republican. Uh, the Republican. Largest gap in the history of – of that poll. America is horrified by what they, they're they seeing. So they look at Joe Biden and they say, okay, you know, Joe Biden's not having the best uh, uh, nine months. He scares me. He looks lost. Lost. He loses himself in the prompter. He loses his train of thought in town halls, friendly town halls. Anderson Cooper is filling in his sentences. It's embarrassing. What's taken place on the world stage. He has looked weak. The Afghanistan exit, the worst in U.S. military history. But can you turn to uh, to Kamala Harris? A great opportunity for a competent vice president like Al Gore, like, uh, like I think, for, for certain Dick Cheney, like, for example, Joe Biden was solid for Barack Obama. He was uh, undisciplined, but he was able to provide some experience. Obama ultimately made his own decisions. And nobody thinks Mike Pence was bad. You might not agree with Mike Pence, but he was an awesome vice president. So Kamala Harris has been absolutely terrible. In fact, over 30 insiders, insider campaigns, spoke to uh, CNN and talked about how they are tearing each other's eyes out. It's basically civil war behind the scenes, much like our campaign. This is the second time this has erupted. erupted. Listen to this. 
exasperation and dysfunction inside Kamala Harris's frustrating start to vice president. Insiders who spoke to CNN think she's been well, pre- she's being well prepared for whatever role it will be. Uh, she, but she is struggling with a rocky relationship with some parts of the White House, while longtime supporters feel abandoned and see no coherent public sense of what she's done or been trying to do as vice president, being the first woman, the first woman of color in the national elected office, but also with the outsized scrutiny with no forgiveness for even small errors. She has gotten more forgiveness. She was given the border. She did nothing. Two virtual meetings. When she finally shows up, she made that ridiculous statement uh, with Lester Holt saying, I haven't been to Europe either when asked about going to the border. Child actors talking space with inflation rising and the ports clogged. That's the media's fault. The other big story is Rittenhouse. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is uh, his his uh, fate will be in the hands of the jury at some time today. Closing arguments will take place. Shane, listen to WOKV in uh, beautiful Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Shane. Hey, good morning, Brian. Great show, man. Good to, good to speak with you. Thank you. Awesome. I got through on the first call. <laughs> yeah, I just got a couple things I worry about. Whatever happens with uh, Rittenhouse is uh, any civil suits that may come after this, uh, no matter what the verdict is, because one, him being underage, and running around in a town like, you know, where were his parents? And then the other thing I would say um, that is an undeniable fact to prove that, you know, there's two sets of laws, you know, the one for me, one for thee, that, uh, you know, you have all these people that are these federal agents. And I did I did 24 years in the military and, uh, you know, fully believe, support, I'm a constitutionalist. And uh, it's like, you know, you get all these agents that hear all this nefarious information the Secret Service or whatever, you know, with whomever the protectee is, and they don't do anything with it. So I think it's a long past time for somebody to put up or shut up. Yeah. And, I, uh, do you think there, if this verdict doesn't go the way where the uh, the rioters want, do you think riots will take place in Kenosha if he is not convicted? I think there will. I think there will be riots either way. You know, 500 National Guard up there, that's a number of people, but hopefully uh, – they're taking better care of them than when the National Guard went to D.C. and they put up that ridiculous fence around the Capitol. You know, so uh, I also support the idea uh, of sending a lot of these immigrants. Like I'm in Florida, so you know, Governor DeSantis right now is like, you know, he's going to send all these illegal immigrants on these Ill- illegal flights coming into Florida. He's going to send them to Delaware, and uh, I'm good with that. Send them to Delaware, send them to D.C., send them to Nancy Pelosi's yard out in Napa Valley, and you know, let them deal with it. <laughs> Instead of dumping them off in uh, neighborhoods where people are, you know, it doesn't matter if you're blue collar, white collar, uh, trying to just make it every day. Some people, you know, paycheck to paycheck and, uh, you know, spread spread the wealth, I guess the best way to put it, share the wealth. And, um, you know, people need to get involved uh, more politically, you know, get off of, you know, the social media crap and yeah. become more involved. And just in get involved and stop, like a, stop tweeting and just get involved uh, locally and go to your school board. Don't tweet about it or write about it. Thanks so much for the call. In terms of the border crisis, which he alluded to, uh, get this. In January, 78,000 illegal encounters. In February, 101,000. In March, 173,000. Then went to 178, 180. In June, 189. Then they said, don't worry, the summer's coming. No one will go deal with that scorching heat. Wrong. 213,000 increase from 189. August, slightly down. 209. In September, at 192. Think about this. The Southwest border encounters, that's only Texas. Think about California. Think about New Mexico. Think about Arizona. 
Southwest Border, Borders Encounter 2 uh, 20, uh, in 2020, 21, 2019, all you see is increases, increases, increases. In 2021, 1.7 million. In 2020, 458,000. In 2019, 977,000. We thought that was too many. In 2018, 521,000. They finally got it and they blew it up. When we come back, uh, we'll continue to take your calls. Find out if there's more to know. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Busy afternoon. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We need immediate relief at the gas pump, and the place to look is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I am urging the administration to tap that reserve, get the prices down, and then we have to embark on a full-time campaign to get us away from carbon fuels altogether. Yeah. Forget it. Uh, why don't you know that is Chuck Schumer saying gas is so high. My party's paying the price. It's gone up over 60 percent. So therefore, I uh, he does do a good job getting in touch with everyday people and what they're pushing for. But to say strategic oil patrol uh, petroleum, uh, that site, I don't want to go into the emergency use. We don't have to. You go up and you tell Texas, you tell these major companies, Exxon, we need you to start drilling more. We need to start getting more oil and gas. I'm going to be opening up these lands uh, temporarily if you want because you're uh, a greenaholic. You don't, you want to stop fracking even though we know natural gas burns clean. And we're going to start doing – we're going to start pumping out uh, gas. And not only that, we're going to help Europe because evidently they're playing games in Russia with their gas. So this is a economic strife. It's economic strife we did not have to have happen, but I do not think tapping the strategic oil petroleum preserve is the right way to go. This is not an emergency. Prices are high because of what we did. Here's Brian Deese, director of the National Economic Council. He's out spinning this thing positive while acknowledging he feels your pain. Cut eight. Look, every serious economist that has looked at this proposal has said that it will not add to long-term inflationary pressure. 17 Nobel Prize winning economists said the same. And the reason is because it's paid for. You know, we haven't fully paid for a bill in Washington for some time. Uh, Senator Barrasso and and his colleagues uh, in the prior administration passed $2 trillion in tax cuts, fully unpaid for, added to the deficit. Here, what we're doing is making smart long-term investments, but offsetting those with tax increases. When you do that, it's fully paid for. You actually reduce the deficit over the long term. You don't impact inflation. What you do is you actually increase the productive capacity of our economy. You get more people to work by providing affordable child care and affordable care for an elderly parent. Here is uh, so he's saying that will help our economy by spending another two trillion. That by the way, Joe Manchin even knows it. Uh, certain Demo- moderate Democrats are saying it, even though evidently sentiment's broken. Manchin won't, and he represents a lot of moderates. And if I'm a House member in the in knowing that Joe, Nancy Pelosi is about to lose the majority my, uh, the majority status as Speaker, she's not going to go back to minority. She's eighty something. She's gone. 
Why would you sacrifice your career and sign on to this reconciliation package, which on the service the American people support, but when it comes to the spending, they don't? Here is John Barrasso called out by Brian Deese. Cut 11. The reason I think prices are going to go way up is because of some of the things that they have put into the bill on energy and on climate, which are going to raise energy costs considerably in the year ahead at a time when the American people are already paying sky-high prices to heat their homes, to drive their cars, to buy groceries, and inflation, as we know, hurts the most vulnerable. Who gets hurt with inflation? It's the poor people, the people living on a fixed income. It's the elderly. It's all of these folks struggling to get by. I would have never believed that Joe Biden in just 10 months in the presidency could bring us to a 30-year high of inflation. Uh, Neither would I. Tara, listening in Jacksonville on WOKV. Hey, Tara. Hi. How are you this morning? Good. What's on your mind? I just want to know uh, if anybody would follow up on the infrastructure bill to find out where the money is going to actually be allocated to because, you know, know, what, 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 uh, cities, what states, because, some, you know, in my mind, I feel like it's just a big payoff for certain states, and I just don't think that it, it'll go to actual infrastructure. Uh, same here. Here's the thing. Uh, they put the mayor of New Orleans, Landrew, on it. I'm not really sure he's going to be fair and balancing and distributing it. They go back hundreds of years as Democrats. Uh, number two, that's going to be what it, that's going to uh, define how this whole infrastructure thing will be Characterized from here on in. Remember, for any time someone brings up the stimulus plan for Barack Obama, he remembers there's no, he goes, I found out there's no such thing as a shovel-ready project. It becomes the mantra every time they talk about his $800 billion infrastructure deal. Now he's $2.2 trillion. If As Axios, Axios was writing over the weekend, so you have a bridge. There's a bridge over in Ponte Vedra. There's a bridge over in uh, Jacksonville. There's bridges everywhere, and they got to be fixed. Okay. Now, the environmental study says they can't do it. And then all of a sudden, what kind of materials are you using? Where are you going to buy them from? So when they do that, there's going to be all types of battles. And are we going to be worried about sweetheart projects? Are we going to be putting all this stuff up for bid? The way it's executed will decide whether this infrastructure bill was worth it. You got Some some Republicans are showing up at the signing ceremony today. It makes me wonder if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, Dave Chappelle, it's back on. Hours after Playbook Report of the Duke Ellington School of the Arts in Georgetown. Canceled his November 23rd fundraiser. Dave Chappelle is now back on. He's given a lot of money to that to that school. The Netflix special, The Closer, is controversial. He does something about transsexuals. I have yet to watch it. While acknowledging that Chappelle has helped to raise millions of dollars for the school, the school struck out against cancel culture and said they plan to use the controversy uh, controversy as a teachable moment. In the meantime, they're holding listening sessions with the students and expanding their social studies curriculum to include content related to political activism. Please, enough about the activism. Get people into a job. Next, Jeff Bezos says humans will inhabit space. Earth will be a vacation destination. Bezos uh, thinks planet Earth is going to be more like Disneyland. He spoke at the Ignatius Forum uh, Forum in D.C. and suggested outer space will be where humans will live. And after the after the competitor, he took a shot at Elon Musk by saying that it's, it's way more likely these colonies will float in space rather than settle on Mars. So one day you could be doing this show now, not just from exactly. New York around See the world. Exactly. See if I can get that Mars affiliate. Space. Saturday. 
Next, Saturday scrub-down weekends, now America's favorite time to clean the house. Uh, Differentiating between the two, respondents identify cleaning by mopping 71%. Saturdays are used for washing dishes 68%. Wiping off the table 65%. And meanwhile, more people consider scrubbing the windows 53%, bathtub 50%, and toilet 41%. Good job, LG Electronics, for sponsoring it. Next, a simple good morning ranks among the top good deeds to brighten somebody's day. Two-thirds of Americans believe that if they do a good deed, the next person will pay it forward. That's pretty good. Helping someone with the task, 61%. Donating someone to someone in need, 59%. Saying good morning, 53%. And even holding a door open for someone, 53%. Of good deeds most likely to turn that kind soul's day around. Nine in ten also contribute to a charity in some way and feel better about themselves when they do so. That's the story to make you feel better and put a smile on your face. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com and order The President and Freedom Fighter. Get it signed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Special thanks to everyone in Albany who came out at the Stuyvesant Bookshop on Friday night and Saturday, uh, the MNC noise event. Thousands came out. Uh, to talk about the president, freedom fighter, and everything else that was on everybody's mind. People are so tapped in and passionate about what just happened in an off-year election, let alone a midterm, which is next year, and then the presidential in 2024. It's like everybody's on a campaign, and everyone's got an opinion, and they're all pretty much well-read. Even if you don't agree, you got to w- admire the research. So uh, thanks so much. And sadly, the, the history book, The President Freedom Fighter, a lot about race in America, where we were and where we are. I think you need some context before you jump in and think that America is coming apart at the seams. We actually did, and we laced it back together. We're not close to that today. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think that the, the indictments will lead to the FBI? From John Durham. Not only the FBI, Comey and Strzok and McCabe ought to be very concerned about uh, Durham's investigation. Brennan and Clapper, remember, they were the ones who actually briefed Obama about the entire plot from Hillary Clinton to try and paint Donald Trump with Russia. There's got to be some accountability. Yeah, Congressman Doug Collins no longer in Congress. Sadly, he's not the senator in Georgia, and that's the problem. The Durham probe and his three indictments already wreaking havoc and embarrassment in many mainstream media newsrooms across the country. I got news for you. More revelations are coming forward. We'll talk to Britt Hume about this and more. Number two. We can address this issue in the short term and the medium term. In the short term, we're focused on uh, executing a strategy to finish the task on COVID. Those are immediate steps that we know actually will help return our economy to a sense of normalcy. Brian Deese, director of the National Economic Council, trying to let everybody know he understands inflation is destroying us. The economy is causing pain on every kitchen table and soon under every Christmas tree. The administration scrambling to at least appear like they understand, but the cure is not more spending. I don't know how to tell them any other way. Number one. The American people have given this president failing grades across the board on his first quarter report card 
failing because of high costs and prices, failing because of an overrun border. And no matter what bill the president happens to sign tomorrow, that's not going to change the failing grades. How long can Joe go? And he's talking about an infrastructure deal will be signed this afternoon at the White House, a day which will see an infrastructure deal signed. New polls verify other polls that Americans have lost faith in this president and his staff. America is turning their exasperated eyes to Republicans at a record rate. With me right now to put it in perspective, but first, let me greet a brand new station onto the uh, into the family, WKIM FM 98.9, News Talk 989, The Roar of Memphis. Fantastic. Thanks so much, guys, for coming aboard. Hope you enjoy the ride. Britt Hume, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Good to talk to you. Well, first off, uh, you you know, you knew Joe Biden as long as anybody. I mean, did you expect the poll numbers to grow from 54 to 42 so quick? In another poll, he's as low as 30, uh, 38%. Well, I didn't think it was going to end well, this administration, because I've known Biden for a long time. And even before he got as old as he is, <clears throat> there was always a high, very high screw-up factor with him. Um, he's a very nice guy, and there's a lot of good in him, but nobody's ever accused him of being smart, at least not accurately. And, you know, he he has has always had a propensity to screw things up, to say things he didn't, or shouldn't have said, and blurt things out, and, and uh, be unbelievably stubborn at times, and all these things have now come into play. Uh, it, I didn't know it would happen this quickly, but it is. I think it's going to be hard for him to reverse. As, you know what the thing is, uh, Britt, and I, maybe it was different in the uh, 70s and 80s and 90s uh, with the different presidents, Democrats and Republicans, but he has such a compliant press. I mean, the fact is he can't get through a teleprompter read without looking pained. He can't do any press conferences. His interviews always end up with being uh, they quickly have to scramble and walk three or four things back. Now he has almost no access and then the Afghanistan was the worst debacle in, in modern American military history, and he has yet to recover now. All he's doing is pushing agenda, not responding to the news. So look at this poll. Nine in ten Republicans say he hasn't accomplished anything. Seven in ten independents. Two-thirds of Democrats says he has, but that means one-third haven't, which is devastating for him. How does he losing independence? Well, I think he's losing independence because of what he promised and failed to deliver. They wanted a return to normal, I think. Independence wanted that. They wanted to be have done with Donald Trump and all of that, all of the tumult that went with, with him. Uh, and they wanted somebody they thought would be calm and seasoned and capable and competent. And he's proved to be really – he's seasoned all right. Uh, but he is—he is—he hasn't been calm and he hasn't been competent. And the results: Afghanistan, the economy, uh, COVID flare-up, all the rest of it uh, has gone the opposite way uh, that people wanted. So his standing with independence, I think, is inevitable. And when it comes to energy, this is a self-inflicted wound. We were protected. We were impervious to these problems of a uh, of the uh, the problem we're having with oil and gas around the country everybody's paying double what they were paying because and we're asking the Saudis and Russians to pump more and they are saying no and now here's what Chuck Schumer says we should do cut 6 we need immediate relief at the gas pump and the place to look is the strategic petroleum reserve i am urging the administration to tap that reserve get the prices down and then we have to embark on a full-time campaign to get us away from carbon fuels altogether. 
Right. Uh, so that's what he wants to do. Is this an emergency that would warrant that? Why don't we just well, drill more? Well, think for a minute about what the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is about. It's a national security deal such that when we were importing as much oil as we used to, that we would have a reserve of fuel in case you know we had a, some calamity in the Middle East or an absolute shutdown of oil imports or partial shutdown. Uh, that we would need, we would have some ability to, to produce and to have fuel here. Well, um, this doesn't qualify as a national security emergency. This is a this is a this is a uh, oil oil and and fuel price uh, supply problem. And it, as you point out, the policies undertaken by this administration are are have contributed mightily to it. So we were energy independent, as you pointed out, and now we're not again, in significant part because of measures taken by this administration. Think about this for a second, Brian. I mean, here's Joe Biden, who's kind of a moderate, slightly you know, thought of as a kind of a centrist guy, and he gets elected and everything. He's going to calm things down. And he decides that he wants to make a bigger mark than that. He doesn't want to just be a caretaker president who, who quiets things down. He wants to be, you know, he wants to be the, the second coming of FDR or something on that. And so he's, so how's he going to do that? By, by accepting the leftist agenda that he resisted from Bernie Sanders during the campaign uh, and, and got nominated by doing that uh, and then elected. And now here he is saying, "No, I'm going to be. I'm going to. I'm going to. You know, I'm going to nail the coonskin to the wall. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to. You know. Uh, I'm going to turn to green energy. I'm going to conquer global warming. I'm going to beat the pandemic with vaccine and other mandates and mask mandates. I'm going to do all these things, and it's backfired completely. No question. It's the other area I want to. Uh, and you know what? I, I was thought he'd. And tell me if you think this analogy is apt." Reagan knew the big picture. He knew who to hire. He knew who to surround himself with. He didn't want to get involved, especially later on in the day-to-day, the play-by-play. He put competent people in charge. Yes, there was a problem with Iran-Contra. I get it. Yes, there was a problem with Donald Reagan. I understand it. But they, but they knew how to do their job. Bush, 43 especially, knew they, people knew how to do their job. We used to argue about policy. But you know what's to me, I am shocked that with all the experienced people he has around him, All they do is react. They're not ahead of anything. They don't even protect him and brief him on what's in the news before he even walks by a line of reporters. They are they are they are the the thing they should have had down was was the execution. Yeah, I think he's got a weak cabinet, um, notably weak players. Um, and I, and I, you know, Tony Blinken is having a terrible time at the State Department. There's all kinds of doubts about the leadership in the Pentagon. Um, Pete Buttigieg uh, turns out to be a smooth-talking guy who doesn't really know what he's doing about transportation. So, at least at this stage, uh, he's getting on-the-job training, I think. But I, you know, in the meantime, his vice president is weak and, and not anybody I think he's ever had any respect for anyway. And I'm, and even now, I'm sure he doesn't pay any attention to her. So we're adrift. His chief of staff may be the most important man in Washington, Ron Klain. He's been around a long time, but he's no certifiable genius. Right. Uh, I, I Obviously, but they say he is running things. Very curious to see how that book's done. The other thing is CNN does a report, interviewed 33 staffers of Kamala Harris. It is chaos behind the scenes. The same problem she had with her campaign that she had originally, she still has today. And she's blaming the White House for not giving her things that make her look good. Does this remind you of anything? Have you? This is an opportunity for a young 
Democrat to emerge uh, when a president continues to stumble. And she's actually doing worse than anyone expected. Yeah, she's doing worse than he is. Well, I think the, the people realize that she's lighter than air. I mean, she's there's nothing really. There's no there there that she's you know she's this sort of giggling silly person who, who um, you know has you know, on paper she looks like she potentially be great. You know, she's a minority. She's a female. She's a, you know she's experienced in the sense that she was a prosecutor in California. She's elected to the Senate, and all that looks pretty good. And then when you get down to it, it turns out that you know she's somebody who rarely has anything sensible to say, and and seems like a silly person. I just love the way you put things. It's that uh, rarely has anything sensible to say. Most people would just say she makes no sense. But it's Britt Hume has a, has a turn of phrase. You're a pro. Uh, so I want to bring you to the door. <laughs> That's you, I have to sometimes think for a second what you just said because you'd say it in such a, uh, in such a professional way, but they're really devastating lines. Um, but I'll learn. Uh, so let's talk about the dorm investigation. I'm fascinated by this, and I was a guy that was – so tired of the Russia, Russia, Russia. But now everything that was is ha- that happened, Britt, over the last three years is blowing up. And John Dorham, who many people thought was falling short, is right on time. And, yeah, would I have liked it earlier? But it, this takes time, evidently. So to a uh, long story short, it looks like the Hillary Clinton camp paid for the opposition research. The Hillary Clinton camp got the research, and when Michael Sussman drops it off to the FBI, does not reveal that he has links to the Trump camp. Uh, excuse me, to the Clinton camp. When the FBI starts running with this and starts doing an investigation, they do it with Christopher Steele's intelligence. Then it turns out that Christopher Steele's intelligence came from a guy named Dushenko, a Russian, who happens to be located in America at the Brookings Institute, and he might have gotten his information from Chuck Dolan Jr., a longtime confidant of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. So the Russian was just ferrying information to Christopher Steele, who made the famous dossier. Everyone's lying. The dossier is not worth the paper it's printed on, let alone being factual. Here's what Adam Schiff said when it shows that he put the Steele dossier into record and shouldn't he be embarrassed. Cut 14. I don't regret saying that we should investigate claims of someone who, frankly, was a well-respected British intelligence uh, officer. Uh, And we couldn't have known, of course, years ago that we would learn years later that someone who is a primary source lied to him. But what I just said with the clip you just played uh, uh, ends up being exactly right, which is uh, Steele did reveal that the Russians were trying to help elect Donald Trump. That turned out to be all too true. Uh, And in fact, the Trump campaign chairman was giving internal campaign polling data to Russian intelligence while Russian See, this guy is still lying. uh, Manafort was in Eastern Europe and Russia forever. It's just so happy. If I was a pollster and I told somebody this is where this election's heading, that's one thing. Manafort was there for a matter of months. He acts like Manafort was the architect of it. And he used Christopher Steele and leaked to the press constantly. And he's doing a book tour, Brett. And yet his credibility is falling apart even in front of Chuck Todd and The View. Well, the thing that's striking about that is he says, you know, I, I, I don't apologize for saying these things should be investigated. But he said a lot more than that, that they should be investigated. He said time and again that he had seen more, better than than uh, uh, circumstantial evidence that there had been collusion. Uh, and he hadn't because it turned out later where he, had, he admitted in a different setting that he hadn't seen any such thing. There wasn't any. 
So he 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 really glossed over that, and then he then he hung his hat to some extent on the idea that they showed some internal polling data. Oh boy, as if as if campaign polling data, which is you know constantly discussed with reporters all the time, it leaks out all over the place. It's not it's not after all it's not classified. It's just you know what some political campaign is has gotten from a pollster. As if leaking that amounts to some kind of national security threat. Just ridiculous, and it's been ridiculous from the start and some of us at some news organizations never bought this whole thing didn't participate in it covered the investigation straight now i'm referring now to to our colleagues at fox news we didn't we haven't gotten any of that dog do on our shoes do we but look across the media landscape and it's littered with people who bought all this stuff and and chased it endlessly for two years and 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 ended up empty-handed and seemingly they're unembarrassable about it i mean the washington post published a correction and retraction of some of what it reported the new york times remains silent as far as i can tell and all these other media outlets have just moved on as if nothing had happened yeah the Washington Post walking some things back. Axios beginning to call him out. Eric Wemple, their own media critic, is calling out his own newspaper. So it's beginning to implode, and the embarrassment and the and the returned awards should start coming if there's any justice. Uh, Britt, the worst is yet to come for all of them. But thanks so much for joining me and kicking us kicking off this hour. Always glad to talk to you, Brian. Be right. well. Uh, the great Brit, you back in a moment with your calls, Brian Kilmeade Show. There's this ample evidence of collusion. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's this ample evidence of collusion uh, of the campaign, and it's very much in the public record. Have you seen, do you have direct evidence of collusion with Russia? Well, I think there is direct evidence. And there is significant evidence of collusion, and we've set that out uh, time and time again. Really? That's a flat-out lie. But I guess he got away with that because there was no follow-up questions when it comes to uh, Chuck Todd and even The View. Morgan Otega's held his feet to the fire, but in come the other four hosts just to sit there and try to save him and sell nine books. Uh, So that is a little of Adam Schiff early on. All of this is blowing up in his face, and it's important for you to look at this because you would not think it's possible to pull this off in America with all these media outlets and all these journalists running around. But when they're all on the same page wanting to destroy Donald Trump, I guess my lesson is it will happen, and it did happen. Doug Collins, who was so strong in defending the president, weighed in with Maria yesterday uh, on her show. Cut 19. Do you think that the the indictments will lead to the FBI from John Durham? They need to, because that's where this is, you know, you go back and you look at where this all started. Not only the FBI, Comey and Strzok and McCabe ought to be very concerned about uh, Durham's investigation. But I want to say Brennan and Clapper, remember, they were the ones who actually briefed Obama about the entire plot from Hillary Clinton to try and paint Donald Trump with Russia. There's got to be some accountability. Yeah. Uh, there has to be, and they're working their way right up the chain. It's not Dushenko. Uh Christopher Steele's not an American. So we got to find out who this Chuck Dolan Jr. guy is, where he is, and we got to go hunt him down, find out who else played a role. There are things about that dossier that have been blown up. Michael Cohen hates Donald Trump more than life, but he said, you have me in the Czech Republic in Prague. I was never in Prague last time. 
When we come back, uh, I'll be able to take some more of your calls. Also, we're following the Rittenhouse trial. They, we're getting set to get these closing arguments and getting some rules. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, it's in shambles right now, and the decisions we're making are making inflation worse. Inflation is taxation. And as you said, we hit a 30-year a high on inflation at 6.2%. When we had the housing crisis and recession in 2008, inflation was 5.8. And I got to correct Congressman, uh, Congresswoman uh, Sherry Bustos. Previously, wages are actually down. Real wages are down 2.2% for this year. And groceries, the cost of groceries are going up. I just filled my tank in my 2011 Chevy Tahoe, and it cost almost $100 to do that. Steak is up 25%. Uh, most Americans, hardworking Americans, are on fixed income, and this is going to hit them really hard. And this is before we get to the energy crisis that we're facing this winter. Right. It's not a good combination. By the way, you shouldn't get a Chevy Tahoe. That's going to be uh, forbidden uh, soon, which it means forbidden. But I didn't have time to say that. So when it comes to the economy, nobody has to explain to you what the economy is. Your numbers say, uh, even though people will have you believe because your wages are going up, that you don't mind spending more because your wages are going up maybe maybe slightly. I don't I have no idea. But if they do go up, it's not going to match the 6.2% inflation that we were told with transitory would be done by now. But now they've changed their tune. Janet Yellen says yesterday, we think it's going to subside by the spring. And the reason is, is because of the pandemic. I don't know. I'm not buying that. A lot has to do, according to Larry Summers, the Obama Treasury Secretary, the $1.9 trillion that we didn't need that you were saying is helping get America back to work. We're also in the middle of the big quit. Over 4 million people quit their jobs, 3% of the entire workforce last month. We do not know why. Don't know why. Well, people have other opportunities. They have enough money. They are not don't have the true happiness that they, they choose to. And maybe uh, they have something to that. They want to reevaluate whether they want to do this for a living. I never had that luxury. I don't know anyone that did. Unless you have a, a parents that had a lot of money, not many people I hung out with could say, I'm going to take off because this job doesn't fulfill me without having another job. That would be different. In terms of the consumer price index, how it really affects us, what we pay for goods and services year to year, as you mentioned, it jumped 6.2%. Uh, that is eye-popping, the highest since 1991. New car prices jumped 9%. Uh, trucks, 26%. Gas, 50%. Heating oil, 60%. Basic foods like eggs up 12%. Bacon up 20%. And that is why people are flipping out because they see his policies. They see him flying over there. Pledging to get rid of oil, oil and gas while we are paying twice as much for it. You're not ready with the technology yet. So don't screw with us. You've had plenty of time to get our chip makers making our chips here. You need, uh, on average, 11 new chips in a new car or used car to be replaced. Not not even a plan in place to bring the the, uh, computer chip back here. You have a supply chain. I watched 60 Minutes last night. And they broke down because uh, evidently President Biden thinks it's too complicated for us normal people to figure out. 
They broke down every thing that is breaking down when it comes to the supply chain in America. It all is correctable. You need these people in a room working together, supervised by the president, getting his chief of staff there. I don't want the president waving in the ships, but I want him involved with the people that do. I don't want his hand on the free market, but the free market is stopped. Eighty ships still remain on the coast of Los, off the coast of Los Angeles, and they're telling us just to stop ordering and that we need to pass the $2.5 trillion or more spending bill. I mean, they just think we're idiots. It makes absolutely no sense to do it. Here's Congresswoman Nancy Mace about the economy as she sees it in South Carolina. Cut five. Well, it's in shambles right now, and the decisions we're making are making inflation worse. Inflation is taxation. And as you said, we hit a 30-year a high on inflation at 6.2 percent. When we had the housing crisis and recession in 2008, inflation was 5.8. And I got to correct Congressman, uh, Congresswoman uh, Sherry Bustos. Previously, wages are actually down. Real wages are down 2.2 percent for this year. And groceries, the cost of groceries are going up. I just filled my tank in my 2011 Chevy Tahoe, and it cost almost $100 to do that. Steak is up 25 percent. Most Americans, hardworking Americans, are on fixed income, and this is going to hit them really hard. And this is before we get to the energy crisis that we're facing this winter. And here's what the president's doing. He's embarrassing Republicans. Uh, You know, you had about 12 uh, step up, and you had 69 overall votes in the Senate. Then he held on to the bill for three months. He told everyone it's an emergency. We need infrastructure. It's falling apart. Held on to the bill for three months. And then two more weeks, he waited for Congress to get back in session. If it was such an emergency, you get their butts back or you sign it without them there. Tough. So now the Democrats, the Republicans are embarrassed in the Senate. And then they say, I want to show you if we do a bipartisan bill, there won't be a need for a reconciliation bill. If this reconciliation bill, the cold but build back better bill gets passed, all social spending that we can't afford with taxes, 42 separate taxes. Please don't tell me there's not a report that reveals that middle class will not be infected by uh, uh, affected by this or infected probably work. But he wants to do it. If he does that, the humiliation and the lack of uh, fire, anyone that jumped across party lines will cost people their careers. What about the 13 that actually voted for it in the House and kind of bailed out Joe Biden? But the thought was the squad only didn't vote for it because they could get away with not voting for it. But in the end, they would not have let it fail. Here is Jim Jordan, cut 12. Their economic plan is really, uh, uh, you know, lock down the economy, spend like crazy, pay people not to work. And the bill that's coming next week, the so-called Build Back Better, they're getting ready to raise your taxes. So for all the people who have been working, you're now going to get a tax increase. Such a deal from the Democrats. But it's, it's just craziness. And why, uh, why we would have folks go along with that, I, I don't know. They did, and it's disappointing in some of the House, and I know Brian Fitzpatrick feels some backlash. Malatakis over in Staten Island feels some backlash, uh, but they are uh, being targeted by the, the former president, uh, but certain people are not. Like Malatakis is not because she's a favorite of the president, also knows she's in a moderate district, and there's infrastructure there that will directly benefit their people. Uh, there's a lot more there that will help, but there's not enough. They threw stuff in that makes this green agenda that makes it unpalatable to people that wanted infrastructure for their state. Ted Cruz got 13. That spending plan, they're still negotiating, but but I got to tell you, the trillions that are being spent, the trillions in debt that is being racked up, it, it, it is historic and, and, and not in a good way. 
Uh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of that television show, that 70s show. It, it, it feels like Joe Biden is Jimmy Carter all over again, and, and we're seeing skyrocketing inflation. We've seen gas lines. We've seen a Middle East crisis. We've seen hostages. We've seen surrender, in this case, in Afghanistan. All of these problems are replicating, and it turns out cause and effect still operates, that when you spend trillions of dollars, you cause inflation. And what he did is... Uh, he's putting the 1.2 out there, repurposing about 400 billion, putting 560 billion new into the process. It's all going to be about the execution of the plans for bridges and the roads and the tunnels and the improvements and the airports and the ports itself. It's all going to come down to that. If you're able to execute and get things going, that's fine. But the, the what has changed since Barack Obama said, caught on mic, saying there's no such thing as a, a shovel-ready project. Where are the projects? And when they do happen, I don't want all the money spent on signs. I want it spent on work. So the reconciliation package is what we're looking at over the next few weeks. Now, the moderate said, I will not vote for it unless we have a score, a CBO score on this. It's not going to be ready by November 15th. It's clearly not ready. There's too many questions. And the pay-fors don't add up. I laugh when people say, oh, this thing is paid for. How could it be paid for? Joe Manchin said, I'm not raising the corporate tax rate. Joe Manchin said, I'm not raising the upper tax rate. And now uh, Nancy Pelosi, of all people, was weighed in and said, I think this billionaire's tax is a dumb idea. So what? who's paying for this? Oh, we're going to have a, a standard 15% tax on all rich people. What, what if you don't earn any money that year? What if you're invested in money? It doesn't yield any income. You're going to get taxed on your income that's sitting there that's not working? Joe Manchin stands in the way of this. He wants to put it off. When he saw the inflation numbers, he said, that's it. I'm done. We should not do this. Now, here's the story behind the scenes. It looks like Kirsten Cinema is now aboard on this. I am not sure what broker. The party is largely leaving it up to Joe Biden to work Joe Manchin and maybe slash it to the point where Manchin will say yes. Manchin told the Congressional Progressive Caucus chair that he's likely to slash the bill whoever, wherever he wants uh, he pretty much can call the shots, and that outrages the left. But it's saving the Democratic Party. If they did half the things they wanted to with getting rid of federalizing elections, with having universal pre-K, universal free college, stuff that's unaffordable will only be unsustainable. If he had done all these things, blowing up the filibuster— uh, it would it, it would absolutely have decimated these guys at the midterms. But as long as there's a moderate voice, they have a shot. How unbelievable is it that the moderates on the Democratic side no longer want to be called moderates? They want to be called normal. 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 Moderates called normal. Yes. That means you can cut a deal. But what Joe Biden, what Joe Manchin is also doing is looking at Republicans and saying, guys, you got to work with me a little because I'm here alone trying to keep this country together, keep stay with it, stay in my party, you have to show that you're willing to come to the table. And that's pretty much why Mitch McConnell came out and extended the debt ceiling. I don't know if he'll do it again, though. By the way, I'm going to be an outnumbered at noon, talking about the president of Freedom Fighter and anything else going on, including the Rittenhouse trial, which is raging. Next, I'm going to go on with Stuart Varney on FBN. It's going to be great. Don't move. 
new from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, it's kind of kind of exciting. We always love going on FBN. Stuart Varney, the number one show on the channel. And a special thanks to WK, uh, uh, KIM, FM 98.9, News Talk uh, 98.9. The roar of Memphis is now uh, taking the show. We really appreciate it as the family of station continues to grow. In a matter of moments, we're going to go on FBN. So if you're watching Fox Business, you would be able to see us. But you also... We could always listen on Fox Nation. Time, Brian Kilmeade joins us. Boston Celtics player and China critic Ennis Cantor has got a message for President, our President, ahead of his meeting with President Xi. Here's the tweet, Brian. Let our audience see this. President Biden, stop playing games with bullish bullies and do what you promised to the world. Prioritize human rights. OK, we got that, Brian. I want to know what's the NBA saying about this, because they've got a huge stake in China. They, they've said some things in support of Ennis Cantor, and what he said is, you know, the NBA keeps saying you can come out to, for social causes. We support you. So he came out against China. Radio silence for the rest of the league, unbelievably, because we're going to play the Olympics there. And what they did, China came back and said, we're no longer carrying Boston Celtic games. Okay, so they're not carrying Houston Rocket games, not carrying Boston Celtic games. It's going to cost them on their network uh, prob- probably indiscriminately, you know, indirectly, it's going to cost the Celtics a lot of revenue. But how do you tell a guy that I'm coming out against genocide? You can't tell him to be quiet. And then look at his shoes. His shoes have all these declarations about the evils of China. So he is showing more guts than the Secretary of State and the president, who won't bring up the origin of the virus, doesn't want to bring up Hong Kong. And evidently, the big message from President Xi is, don't bring up Taiwan. I'll bring it up, and I need you to back off from there and stop with these ships coming through the Taiwan Strait. So who's going to show more guts, the Turkish-born Boston Celtics center or the president of the United States? Uh, good question, and I'm not going to answer it, Brian, because I don't know what the answer is. Now then, I want you to take a look at the cover of the New York Post today. I'll quote it to you. Even Dems dislike Biden in his latest devastating poll Who's left? The background here is that a poll pitting a generic Republican against a generic Democrat had the Republican winning for the first time in a long, long time. And look at that approval chart. I mean, he's down to 41 percent. This president is just, uh, I mean, the, the support is just going away from him. So this is what I like about this. It goes to show you, even if nine-tenths of the media ignores his, uh, his, his uh, screw-ups who ignores the fact that he can't get uh, through a prompter reading without stopping and looking at the prompter like it's written in another language, the fact that he does not do any interviews, that they have to walk back when he does a town hall, four or five things after every appearance. His decisions are epically bad, first and foremost, the Afghanistan war and the way he decided to end it. It shows the American people aren't taking their cues from the other networks. They're looking at it honestly and saying, I can't buy into this. It scares me. What I think is also important, too, Republicans had another uh, opportunity like this back in 2010, where it seems as though President Obama was cratering, and they would win big in the House, but they blew the Senate just because because they nominated the wrong candidates in Mm. Nevada and, I believe, Delaware. 
they have to be sure that they put the right candidates up in the Senate. And what I say is at stake, I couldn't care less about the Republican Party, but the direction this president is leading us because he's being led by his left wing is scary for the country. He's not the moderate he claimed to be. He's not center left. He is way out here. Our country can't survive this. The first case in point to show these polls are real, if the moderates do decide they're not going to fall on the sword for this reconciliation package. That'll be a good sign. By the way, how's the uh, book tour going? Uh, it's, it's been going great. It's uh, great to see we're still dealing with race in America. When I, it'll go to, when I go back and talk about Douglas and Lincoln and put it in context, people stop panicking and saying we're coming apart. We did come apart. And we came back together because these two extraordinary men, I feel like I'm reassuring people to a degree, was in Indiana, Albany, Atlanta, uh, traveling the country, having a great time. I don't know how you do it. You're the hardest working guy on the planet, and that's a fact. I really don't know how you do it. Thanks, I, I really, I take my hat off to you, Brian. I really do. You're a good man. I don't right. care what they say. I think you're all right. Really? Brian Kilmeade. What yeah, are they really? saying? Yeah, I really <laughs> No, no, no. Later, later. Okay. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, we will see you later. Thanks right. a lot, man. Uh, thanks, Stuart. 1 866 408 7669. Got a few more minutes there, but I've been in touch with Ennis Cantor pretty consistently. And what he does not want to do is hop on a channel where they'll minimize his argument and make him seem like he's going to bat for Democrats or Republicans, uh, for Trump or Biden or anybody else. He thinks that will minimize his argument, allow them to marginalize his statements. What he is doing is showing so much courage. He's calling out the league. He is calling out China. He's calling out the administration. And also, what about the sponsors involved in the Olympics my goodness, these Olympic uniforms, a lot of the things are going to be are made by people who are in forced labor camps being tortured because they're Muslim. Since when are we turning a blind eye to anti-Islamic behavior? But we do it. And you know who else is doing it? All these Islamic extremists because China's got the money and they got the power. And they'll pay all these terrorist groups. They don't care. So they'll just suck it up and let the Uyghurs suffer and be tortured. Remember when they were upset with us? Because if the Quran was left on the ground or tossed in, a, in the prison or put in the wrong place, there would be riots. People would have to apologize. People would be fired, fined, jailed in our military. But it's okay for China to put... Two million people in a concentration camp because they're Muslim and because they want a pure society and not a word from the rest of the world. But I am heartened by the fact that you have European nations sending high-ranking officials into Taiwan because they saw what happened in Hong Kong. And if you lose Taiwan, the Philippines is next. Just take a look at a map. Grab a globe and see how they will gradually come in. They're already in our hemisphere. Well, they'll gradually take over. Uh, they'll take over the whole uh, southeast. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, well, we'll, this is the end of the hour. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. Comment on anything that you've heard. I'll try to weave it into the next hour. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, scrambling to help us out. Uh, Aaron Siri, managing partner of uh, Glimstad, uh, specializing civil rights involving mandated medicines, class actions, and high-stake disputes. What Aaron did is do something we all wanted to do and get answers on, which might be impossible, and that is natural immunity. Tell me, if I have natural immunity, if I had it and beat it and have the antibodies, why do I need a vaccine? Give me the stats on people in pure natural immunity. He went and did a Freedom of Information Act request, and the CDC is claiming they didn't keep those stats. Israel did. You're going to want to hear from Aaron. So Michael Goodwin at the bottom of the hour, he talked about how Joe Biden is the next Herbert Hoover. Look at what is happening in this country. The only thing missing is rising interest rates. They're still at zero. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think that the the indictments will lead to the FBI? From John Durham. Not only the FBI, Comey and Strzok and McCabe ought to be very concerned about uh, Durham's investigation. Brennan and Clapper, remember, they were the ones who actually briefed Obama about the entire plot from Hillary Clinton to try and paint Donald Trump with Russia. They've got to be some accountability. Yeah, it would be nice. Doug Collins knows all about it. The Durham probe and his three indictments already wreaking havoc and embarrassment in mainstream newsrooms across the country. The worst is yet to come. We'll talk about it. Number two. We can address this issue in the short term and the medium term. In the short term, we're focused on uh, executing a strategy to finish the task on COVID. Those are immediate steps that we know actually will help return our economy to a sense of normalcy. Uh, yeah, that would be good. Brian Deese trying to calm everybody and let the Biden, let the people think the Biden administration is on top of what's happening to us economically. Now even they admit it. The economy is causing pain on every kitchen table and soon under every Christmas tree. The administration scrambling to at least appear like they care. Too little, too late. Number one. The American people have given this president failing grades across the board on his first quarter report card failing because of high costs and prices, failing because of an overrun border. And no matter what bill the president happens to sign tomorrow, that's not going to change the failing grades. John Barrasso weighing in. How long can how low can Joe go? A day which we'll see an infrastructure deal signed. New polls verify other polls. Americans have lost total faith in this president and his staff. We'll be talking about it. But let's bring in uh, uh, let's bring in a very special guest, Aaron Siri. Aaron, welcome. Uh, thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Aaron, first off, this is the common thing. I've, I'm on this uh, book tour now, and I've, I've traveled to seven different cities. The most common question to me is, why don't they take into account natural immunity when it comes to these vaccines? And they think right away some theory, we got to make Moderna and Pfizer, big pharma, want to make money. Why did you inquire about it? How did you go about it, and what did you find out? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um... Well, uh, those who receive the vaccine, the CDC says they can participate in civil society, right? They're allowed to keep their jobs. They're allowed to go to school. They're allowed to stay in the military. They can go to the movie theater, the CDC says. Um, And it says that they can do that, even though the CDC knows, has documentary proof that they can still become infected with and transmit the virus and has numerous documented cases of that happening, of those who have been vaccinated 
becoming infected and transmitting the virus to others. And so my client, the Informed Consent Action Network, wanted to know, does the CDC have proof that those that have already been infected with the virus, those that have had COVID, can they become reinfected and transmit the virus? There's numerous proof showing that those who've been vaccinated can. So we'd assume the CDC has proof, presumably, that those that have already been infected, not vaccinated, infected, meaning they're naturally immune, can they become infected again and transmit yeah. the virus? And so we submitted a Freedom of Information Act request to the CDC asking that precise question. And the CDC's response was, we do not have any records showing that anybody has ever been reinfected and transmitted the virus again. Um, and, and, and worse than that, the CDC said, we don't even bother collecting that information. Now, why, why does that matter? Why it matters, Brian, is because the CDC says if you're vaccinated, you can go to school, you can keep your job, you could stay in the military, right? You could go to the movie theater, you can enjoy all of the normal privileges that, uh, we, you know, we think of when we think of liberty, right? And they let you do that, even though they know they have documented cases of the vaccinated becoming infected and transmitting the virus to others. But with those who have natural immunity, the CDC says what? The CDC says, no, those folks, unless they get the vaccine, they need to be fired from their jobs. They need to be kicked out of school, kicked out of the military, can't engage in civil society until they submit to the CDC's chosen protocol of getting the vaccine, even though the CDC doesn't have any evidence Ugh. that they ever would become infected with again and transmit the virus. I think that this highlights why uh, no civil or individual rights should ever be contingent on receipt of a medical product. So certainly not. Should, certainly civil and individual rights shouldn't be contingent on the whims and opinions of public health officials. So we're talking to Aaron Siri, uh, managing partner of Siri and Glimstad, uh, specializing in civil rights involving mandated medicines like the ones we're in the middle of de dealing with now. So Aaron, uh, before I ask you what Israel came up with, because they are keeping that stat, do you believe them? Do I believe that the CDC was uh, not collecting not have, this? I, I, I prefer not to speculate. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, the CDC uh, exists to gather the, precisely this kind of information. Um, and people think of the CDC as a science organization. They're really a public health organization. They, um, as they themselves explain on their website, they're here to uh, um, promote what they believe is in the best interest of public health through implementing policies. Um, you know, if data supports their policies, I think they're typically inclined to release it and make it public. And if data doesn't support their policies, one must query whether they would release that information. I mean, just taking a look at the, uh, historically at the information the CDC chooses to release, you know, one can draw their own conclusion. So number, uh, a lot of people don't trust it. I mean, they, they don't understand it. Why we're going back for a booster shot. First, the president announces we need boosters. We got boosters. And the CDC goes, wait a second. I never said that. I, I never agreed. FDA says I never green lighted that. We're still studying it. No, they did. They got rid of the outside advisory group because I guess they didn't like the advisory group was going too slow. We're saying things they didn't like. So now we're going to find out about booster shots 
without an advisory group, unbiased, working on the outside, without their input at all. What is going on here? I mean, are we? I mean, are we owe so much to Pfizer and Moderna. They did a great job. We took great risk, and there's no doubt about that. These people are heroes. But are they now trying to cash in? And is it is it not? It does it not pay well to say you've had the virus, so you have the antibodies, so you don't need a shot? Yeah, I'm, on the great risk. Well, um, on the on the great risk point, if I could just touch on that for a moment, then I'll, I'll absolutely answer your question. On the great risk point. I mean, Pfizer did receive an incredible amount of funding from various government entities to do the research and take, quote unquote, the risks that they took. And also, they've been granted complete immunity from any liability for any injuries caused by their product. You can't sue Pfizer if you're injured by the product, by their COVID vaccine. Federal government has given them immunity. You can't even sue them for willful misconduct um, unless they uh, unless the federal government agrees that you can do so. And of course, they're regulating Pfizer. So if they admit that Pfizer did engage in such misconduct, that would act, reflect poorly on the government. Um, so there, there'd be a structural issue there in any event. Um, but, but with that said, um, on the risk that they took, when it comes to natural immunity, um, uh, the booster dose, I think the government's torn. On the one hand, they've been telling you this vaccine's effective, that it, you, know, you take it, you're safe, you're protected. Um, promoting a booster dose obviously cuts against that narrative. And I think that's created tension um, in two different camps within the government, um, you know, w- with some uh, wanting to promote it, others not wanting to promote it. But vis-a-vis natural immunity, which is where we started, one thing we do know is that those who have natural immunity, those who've been infected and haven't gotten the vaccine, as you, you were talking about Israel, and, and not only Israel study, studies out of the UK, Ireland, Kuwait, they all show that those who have natural immunity, their immunity doesn't wane. They don't need a quote-unquote booster. Their immunity is known as what immunologists would call durable. Um, And and unlike the vaccine that's only been around since around December, natural immunity has been around for a good 18 months. And in that period, they have not seen waning of natural immunity. Every single study that has looked at those with natural immunity has found that the quote-unquote reinfection rate is far less than 1%. It's minuscule. Now, compare that with those who are vaccinated. Even directly after right, the vaccine has uh, um, uh, been given um, against the alpha variant and in the sterilized environment of a clinical trial, and only vis-a-vis the reduction of infection, they said the, the efficacy was at best 95% for the Pfizer vaccine, 94% for Moderna's vaccine, and something way less for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Right. Now, I'm only a lawyer, Brian, okay? <laughs> Not a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure 99% is, you know, plus without waning is better than, you know, at best 95% and quickly wanes. What did Israel's uh, study show? Israel studies show that those who have um, those that have had previously been infected with uh, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, they had less rates of hospitalization, infection, and death than those that have been vaccinated. It showed that in all those three categories, natural immunity was more protective mm-hmm. than vaccination. So I watched uh, the uh, Surgeon General yesterday, Dr. Vivek Murthy. 
Here's what he said uh, on the pushback for those who are pushing back on the vaccine. Cut 21. We've had requirements in various settings in our country since the founding of the United States of America, including in schools since the 1800s, workplaces like hospitals uh, have had requirements for vaccines for years. The military has had such requirements. But we also know, Chris, that they work remarkably well. Even with COVID-19, we've seen a 20 percent bump on average in vaccination rates with organizations that put requirements in place, and many already have. So what does he say? He said, we've always done this since the beginning of time. So what's the big deal? Yeah, that's that. It, it, it is not. A, it's not an appropriate analogy. First of all, first of all, it is true there have been vaccine requirements for attending school, most of which has came in in place in the 1980s, by the way, right? Um, but they virtually always have had check the box exception exemptions. So in in in, in almost all instances, the parents could just check a box, whether for a personal belief exemption, philosophical exemption, or religious exemption, and they don't have to take it. A mandate with a check-the-box exemption is effectively not really a mandate. Um, and really, the, you know, there have been two states, West Virginia and Mississippi, that um, didn't have check-the-box exemptions. They only had medical exemptions. They were the only exceptions for a long time, up until California in 2014. A few years later, New York followed. Um, and so the, the, the state of affairs in which there is a mandated vaccine that you really can't avoid is actually a very recent phenomenon. I'd also point the following out. In states where there are personal belief exemptions for attending school with vaccination, um, the, the vaccination rates are very high. Most parents, whether they can check that box or not, choose to give their kids vaccines. Um, in many of the states, vaccination rates for Childhood vaccines to attend school are, you know, 97, 98 percent. And then in some states like West Virginia, that has um, only a medical exemption, right, meaning the coercive uh, coercion of government is, is, is being pressed down to try and get parents to vaccinate, the vaccination rate is in the 80s percentile. Um, so, uh, you know, 80 something percent, I haven't checked the latest figure, but the last time I checked it was 86%. And so, you know, it shows you that, uh, government coercion is not always, certainly not necessary, not always necessary to, to achieve right. that results most. But the other thing too, we're talking about school. This is different. Biden's mandate is sweeping. It affects our military, um, uh, our firefighters, our, our, our cops. Everybody, almost. I mean, you know, all our federal, all federal employees, all private employers with over 100 employees across the country. The sweep um, is is unprecedented, and the co and the coercive nature of this mandate is unprecedented. Our firm represents. We also our firm. You know, in our, in our firm, we have five attorneys that just handle vaccine exemptions. That's 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 what they do. And and um, you know, uh, got it. We, we've been doing this stuff for years. Um, we've never seen the type of lack of respect for Title VII. That's the Civil Rights Act. That Real quick, Aaron, I'm up against a break. I yeah, think yeah, I think you're doing yeah. great work. You're, you're speaking for a lot of people that feel powerless because they can't lose their jobs. They can't, they live paycheck to paycheck, and they're told to get something yeah. they're not comfortable with or they've had it already. So I really appreciate what you're doing, and I hope you keep us in touch with what, how you how you're progressing. All right, thank you. You got it. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your calls. one 408 7669 Then welcome in Michael Goodwin, Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We have to be very hard-hitting with communist China on this issue because they have not opened up and allowed investigators full access to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is where we believe the pandemic started. Uh, there's a lot of questions that need to be asked. They need to be pushed with the Chinese government. Uh, that is uh, Joni Ernst, and I think this is great. Uh, they're going to put together a bipartisan group, a 9-11-style commission, and they have some Democrats buy in, and they should. It has nothing to do with us. We didn't do anything wrong. Not Republicans or Democrats did nothing. You want to talk about the response to it? That's where the rubber hits the road. Trump did this. Biden did that. Vaccination, creation, distribution, enough. Mandates. I'm not talking about that. But where it came from, getting answers, the first person you should call is Josh Rogan. He did more He did more research than anybody else. Then Jamie Metzl, same thing. They know more stuff than is in any WHO review. But yet, when you analyze, when Joe Biden said, I want to take, I think, 90 days to analyze the origins of the virus to see where we go, they were not even talked to, which is inexcusable. So there was no sincerity there. So the origins of this virus, that's why this China summit matters. If Joe Biden has any sense of where the American public is, has any hope of reclaiming the mantle of toughness and tenacity on the world stage, he will bring that up directly. Disappointment in not being transparent, frustration in not knowing, and now they're dealing with the Delta variant as China again. But we still don't know where it started. How are we supposed to stop the next one? When we come back, Michael Goodwin looks at Donald, looks at Joe Biden and says, this guy's Herbert Hoover. Find out why. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Just watching that Rittenhouse trial for a second there, just reading uh, the, before the closing arguments, they're reading everything to the jury before they actually get uh, before they actually get the case. Just a quick note, I want to thank everyone in Albany, New York, for coming out. And then, of course, um, uh, the, MR, uh, the MRC event, the noise event. Uh, over in uh, South Bend, Indiana, in Elkhart, Indiana. Just a fantastic night. Everyone, if you have a chance to talk to anyone, was truly uh, fantastic. Tomorrow, with the President and Freedom Fighter, which is now out doing well, thanks to you guys, I'll be in Vero Beach, Florida. And then I'm going to be heading up to Pensacola at the end of the week and then followed up into Alabama in Fairhope, Alabama. You'll see me there. I'll be in Hollywood signing at the at Hollywood, Florida, signing at the Patriot Awards. So if you have a ticket, make sure you come out. I'll be able to sign and personalize your book. 
The big story, though, is on the 21st on Sunday, a chance to talk about all my books on stage. I only have four of these. I already did one in West Virginia. It went great. And have a chance to talk about America great from the start, the President Freedom Fighter Tour, and just arm you for your next barbecue or your next engagement at Thanksgiving with people that want to tell you how bad the country is. I want to give you five examples of where it's not and what we've been through to give context to the news we're all going through. Meanwhile. We're spending money that the federal government doesn't even have. We're borrowing from our future to pay for these goodies today. They want to completely bring in their entire Green New Deal through the back door of Joe Biden's incompetence. That's not going to help our country. Meanwhile, we are continuing to grow our debt. We are ignoring budget deficits. In the House, we ignore budget rules that Nancy Pelosi doesn't even think they exist. The only thing she wants to do is create her legacy as she walks out the door. And that is Byron Donaldson, an up-and-coming star on the Republican side, African-American, uh, flies in the faith of what's going on. This guy's a very practical guy, speaks his mind. Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor, welcome back. I saw your column Sunday, and no doubt about it, there's some similarities. Uh, when Herbert Hoover at least was a successful humanitarian in World War I, uh, helping do some impressive things before he became president and left a mess behind him. But my goodness— Joe Biden couldn't be handling the economy worse. Good morning, Brian. Uh, yeah, you know, in, in trying to decide who Joe Biden is most like in presidential history, there are a number of uh, good candidates. Uh, there would be, of course, Gerald Ford, uh, whip inflation now. Remember that? Jimmy Carter is an obvious uh, choice. Uh, and, and George H.W. Bush, uh, that famous moment when, uh, or maybe infamous for him, when uh, he reads, a, he mistakenly reads a cue card in a speech, and the cue card said, "Message, I care," and he said, "So, message, I care." Uh, I, and I think what's consistent with with a lot of these people is there are big changes taking place in society that are unnerving a lot of Americans. And it's their reaction to the changes that I think sort of hangs them out to dry and makes them vulnerable. So Hoover, of course, um, as you say, was widely admired for his relief work after World War One in Europe and um, then became, went into the government and became the Republican nominee in 1928, defeated uh, uh, New York's uh, governor at the time, Al Smith, uh, and was the incumbent in facing FDR in 32. And by then, the Great Depression had really sunk in, and Hoover seemed reluctant to uh, engage and and sort of bring the federal government to fore. And I know there are a lot of arguments historically about what FDR did and whether he went too far, whether his policies actually extended the Depression longer than it needed to be. Uh, but certainly there's very little argument that Hoover did a good job in handling it. And all of these strike me as similarities with Joe Biden. He seems totally flat-footed. He doesn't seem to have an idea about what to do. And when he goes out there and says, you know, oh, finally, last week, he says, I'm really worried. This is worrisome. I understand. And then he, his answer is, vote for Build Back Better. Now, 
almost every economist believes that in the short term, at least, build back better is going to increase inflation. So this this is a kind of autopilot answer, if that's his only answer. And then, of course, I, I quote Jen Psaki, who last week basically said, you know, higher prices uh, for fuel uh, just enables us to sort of double down on this green new future. Well, by that measurement, then, it'll be a great day when gasoline hits $10 a gallon. <laughs> Uh, Brian Deese took this on over the weekend. He's the director of National Economic Council. He believes this will uh, fortify the social programs necessary for us to get people back to work. Cut four. We can address this issue in the short term and the medium term. In the short term, we're focused on uh, executing a strategy to finish the task on COVID. Those are immediate steps that we know actually will help return our economy to a sense of normalcy affecting supply chains, working with ports. You know, the president stepped in with the port of L.A. and Long Beach a couple of weeks ago to get them to go to 24-7. In just the last couple of weeks, the share of containers sitting on docks idly has come down by 20%. Those are the kind of steps we can take in the, uh, in the short term. By the way, that flies in the face of the 60 Minutes report we saw last night that said it really did nothing 24-7. He had dock workers work, but we didn't have anybody in warehouses and we didn't have any truck drivers. But go ahead. Well, and I, and I think that there's also a report that the number of ships uh, waiting to pull into the port has reached a new high. So uh, if this was an improvement, uh, it's not clear. And I think there's also issues that truck drivers have to be unionized in some ways that that is uh, hurting the, the attempt to get more drivers on the job. So there are all kinds of issues with these things. And I think that, you know, you, some of the president's uh, cabinet is being exposed. I mean, look at Pete Buttigieg. Does anybody have confidence that he knows what he's doing or that he would even know where to go to, to move these things? I mean, he wasn't even on the job for six months, which nobody apparently knew about. I mean, how's that? The guy wasn't working and nobody knew. Uh, nobody in the public knew anyway. So... Brian, I think that the, the problems here are so fundamental and so deep. And you look at this White House and the fact that very few Americans, increasingly fewer uh, virtually every day, have confidence, confidence in it should be a, an alarm uh, in the White House. But it wasn't so long ago that they were saying inflation was no big deal. It might even help. It was transitory. Uh, they just seem unprepared. And now that it's hit full bore, they seem to have no answers. And I think that this, this is potentially um, a fake mistake on their part. I mean, inflation really is a devastating punch to families. Of course. Uh, and, and as the report last right. week made clear, even if wages are going up, prices are going up faster. Yeah. So there's the other thing is there's no excuse for the don't tell me you're not affecting energy. You're affecting energy. You don't let people deal on, uh, drill on private lands. You're dis discouraging Wall Street from investing in oil and gas companies. You are trying to get Moscow and Saudi Arabia to drill more and to pump more, but not us, where we could actually make a profit because politically it might not look good for a Democratic president who pre pretends to lead the world on renewables to actually try to do something practical. We are not ready to transition now, yet, Senator Chuck Schumer says, I have an idea. Cut six.
We need immediate relief at the gas pump, and the place to look is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I am urging the administration to tap that reserve, get the prices down, and then we have to embark on a full-time campaign to get us away from carbon fuels altogether. Enough. Then it's not ready. But that's this is not the emergency for the Strategic Oil Preserve. This is a self-inflicted emergency. Well, that's right. And, and you know, the whole global climate issue uh, is predicated on the idea that it is global. And so if you are urging Saudi Arabia and Russia to drill baby drill, how is that good for this climate? I mean, it, it's it's such a silly thing. I mean, there goes the science again. Uh, every time the Democrats say we embrace the science, we follow the science, it turns out that that's only when it's convenient. When it's inconvenient, the science doesn't matter. And so, look, I, I don't wish Joe Biden ill, but he's got to wake up to this. And the reports today that Kamala Harris has been sidelined, I mean, you, you knock on the door and you have to ask, is anybody home? Yeah, anyone competent home. They look at Peter Buttigieg as the rising star. Are you kidding me? Here's a quote from the CNN story. There were 30 sources inside the Kamala Harris team. Uh, with many sources speaking on the condition of anonymity to discuss the situation more frankly, they all they all tell roughly the same story. Harris's staff has repeatedly failed her and left her exposed, and family members have often had an informal say within her office. Even some have been asked for advice, lament Harris's overly cautious tendencies and staff problems, which have been a feature of every office she has held, from San Francisco District Attorney to the U.S. Senate, and may I add, also her campaign. Uh, so now so Simone Sanders, who has to be doing a terrible job because her PR couldn't be worse. They actually had to hire crisis managers last month, and all they did was bring additional crises. So here's what she says. It's an unfortunate that after a productive trip to France, in which we reaffirmed our relationship with America's oldest ally and demonstrated U.S. leadership on the world stage, the following passage of a historic bipartisan infrastructure bill will create jobs. They said, instead, the media is focused on gossip, not on the results of the president and vice president have delivered. Gossip? That's CNN. They would love to write something great. But this is so overwhelming, even to them, they couldn't duck it anymore. She is upset that she doesn't have a more high-profile, easier-to-solve portfolio. Whoever heard of somebody who wants to achieve trying to get simple stuff and running from hard stuff? Well, look, uh, I mean, that pretty much sums up the whole Kamala Harris public career. I mean, if anybody thought she was ready for the job, uh, why did she only have 5% in the Democratic primary? Uh, nobody thought she was ready for this. Joe Biden said, I'm going to find a black woman to be my running mate, and he did. Uh, but now push has come to shove. Biden himself looks woefully unfit, and Kamala Harris is no is no supportive structure. She, how can she? Who does she persuade? I mean, she ran away from the border issue, the whole root causes issue. I Voting. mean, it's such a such a dodge. Uh, the root cause is the the 
United States is the best country in the world to live in, if you, particularly if you live elsewhere in the hemisphere. Everybody wants to come here. It, it, for her to think that there was some magic, we could go down there and help them fix street right. lights in Honduras, is just ridiculous. It's, it's baby talk. Right. But this is what she specializes in. Thanks, Michael. Just a quick announcement. This just in. Senator Majority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer has released the following statement in support and a tribute to Senator Patrick Leahy, who's retiring. I'm not sure in Vermont if there's somebody, by the way, I'm not sure if in Vermont they have a Republican there. But if they do, there's a, an opening not many people were expecting. And we'll see what happens. If they want to take back the Senate, they got to start targeting some seats, not just have the older overall sentiment. Michael, thank you so much. It's a crazy time we're living in. My uh, pleasure, Brian. I appreciate it. Watch it. Listen and read him in the New York Post and Fox News. I'll be seeing you at number at the top of the hour. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, again, set the host, host out numbered right at the top of the hour, so make sure to join me as I talk about the president, freedom fighter, and everything else. Still while watching the Rittenhouse trial and as the jury gets instructions, and we'll find out how long it'll take to exonerate this guy. But meanwhile, I think I'm checking my watch. I think it's time to see if I can learn to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, three in five Americans, get this, are banning unvaccinated relatives from family gatherings. I imagine like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Hanukkah. This according to the results to two and three correspondents feel they cannot go home for the holidays without getting vaccinated. Of the 65% who are fully vaccinated, 6 in 10, 58%, have reportedly cut off family members who refuse to get the vaccine. Now, can you imagine this would be totally reversed if it was Donald Trump who got reelected with his vaccine? Meanwhile, 63% don't feel comfortable inviting unvaccinated uh, relatives to their parties. If you're vaccinated and you get infected, you're going to have almost no symptoms. Unless, of course, you don't believe the vaccine works. So Unbelievable. What are, so what are the rules for you? Like, what No, you to ban? that's not my business. No, no, I'm not talking about vaccine. I'm, I'm, that's off the table. Just in general, what would have you ban people from coming to your no, house? No, there would be no ban. Next, scientists developed gene-editing barley to produce better beer. Researchers in Japan believe they found a way to make one of the beverage's key ingredients more resistant to the impact of poor weather and climate change. Do you believe this? They're making our beer climate change proof. Using genetic manipulation, a team from the Okawama University have created the perfect barley, which won't sprout before the harvest season. So that's good. What about the hops? Who's working with that? And how does it affect corona? The worst is when you get a beer cold, and then it gets warm, and then you get cold again. It is terrible. Can we get scientists working on that? Now, it's beer we need cold, but when you do shots, you need them to be more room temperature, right? Exactly, depending on the room. More news on the Queen. Listen, Queen Elizabeth, has, Her Majesty, is 95, and she's urged to stand down again after missing a remembrance Sunday amid growing health fears. Buckingham Palace announced Her Majesty has sprained her back and was disappointed that they missed the annual service. Pierce Morgan took to Twitter to share his concerns. He tweeted saying that might be more of a serious situation than being made by palace officials, and there's something we're not being told about her health. I agree. Pierce Morgan would know because he's the one who took Prince 
went after Prince Harry and defended the royal family, remember? Yeah, that, that's a good point. And, and I mean, her age, too, it is probably best for her to relax. And you kidding? What else is she going to do? She just want to relax? That's what she does. No, I understand that, but still at her age, you want to you relax. It's not, you're 95 years old. you got to slow down just a little bit. Well, I know. Let's, we'll see. The queen, uh, having sprained her back, has decided this morning with great regret that she will not be able to attend today's Remembrance Sunday. Let's see if she bounces back. Next, leave the candy jams at home. Instacart reveals the most disliked Thanksgiving side dishes. According to Vacationer, 1,000 vo- adults surveyed. Uh, the number 12 hated is carrots. 11 is corn. 10 is macaroni and cheese. Uh, 9 is mashed potatoes. You know why? Because I think there's too many. Uh, we have mashed potatoes too often. Pumpkin pie is 8. I thought pumpkin pie was loved. Ham is hated by is number 7. The sixth most hated is coleslaw. The fifth is stuffing. True. Stuffing, not good. I mean, we're pretending we like it. It is It is a, uh, these are croutons, which are no longer, it's the failed bread. And then you put them in a turkey. <laughs> and then you sogging them up, making them soggy. Terrible. Whose idea was that? Green bean casserole. Disliked by 24%. Three is sweet potatoes or yams. The number two disliked is turkey, and number one most disliked is cranberry. Yeah, I can do without almost everything except for uh, mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese. The rest of it you can keep. Will someone tell people to stop making turkey if it's the number two most disliked meal? Did I read this wrong? No, we, I, I guess we people feel obligated turkey? to make it, but every time I, I'm either a, a family members, nobody cares for the turkey. It's too bad John Smith didn't have an option of pizza, and then we would have been a much better holiday. Nobody doesn't like pizza. See you on the Outnumbered right now. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.